LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Adkins, and I'm here today with a old friend who's been on here. I don't know. I think you might hold the record now. More than Brad Lominick. More than Brad Lominick. Maybe I think more. we're now officially dominant. We have this debate every time, but sorry, Brad, you're a good friend, but yeah, going to have to be invited back. He's got to write more books. Well, he's written too. I know. Industry so, leadership. He's, he's got the idea for the next one, but he just he's just not executing. It's uh, he, yes, it, it is um, it's it's a problem that we talk about. So, I should say for those who don't know, Brad is a good friend. So this yeah, is all done. Uh, both of us. Well. We would dog him if he were here. It would be uh, it would be absolutely amazing. <laughs> would be yeah. Um, but you're uh, the other person online, uh, of course, is Kerry Newoff. Uh, you recognize his voice because if you listen to leadership podcasts like this one, you probably listen to his. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I guarantee you. Um, one of the things that's most impressive uh, to me, Kerry, is the way that you transcend uh, tribe uh, and geography uh, when it comes to the people that listen to your podcast, it doesn't matter what denomination, uh, what facet of that denomination or part of the country, almost everybody I run into, um, that's a leader. If we are talking for any length of time, uh, that comes up. So again, thank you for doing what you do. Um, we all benefit from it and, um, man, just congratulations on that. Well, that's appreciated. I really appreciate it. And you know, that's something I really work for. It's like toward is, uh, well, first of all, I am Canadian, even though most of my audience is American, I am Canadian. So that kind of makes me neutral, right? Yes. It? yes. And so that means I don't have all, I, I wasn't, I wasn't bathed in the same water as a baby. You know what I mean? So that helps. <laughs> and you look at, I've talked about this with like, I asked uh, Simon Sinek this once. I'm like, do you think the fact that you were born in England makes a difference? And he he thinks it does. Like you have a bit of an outside perspective. Uh -huh. And yet I'm very acquainted with what's happening in the US and to some extent around the world. And so I'm just trying to create space where people who always, who wouldn't always be excited to be in the same room can hang out in the same room and get along. So good. Okay. So your, uh, your new book is at your best. Um, we've had you on numerous times. Actually, the, the last time you were on was with your wife, Tony, and we were talking mm -hmm. about, uh, we were talking about her book, which I believe is titled before you split. You're correct. That's right. And, um, so just what a great and timely title for our churches and church leaders. It's all about, um, well, you, Talk a little bit about it. Um, yeah. This well, is not a podcast. Uh, I, I just want people to know about this as a resource for their church because there's so many people who have found themselves in the midst of the pandemic, so many marriages um, that have found themselves in, in trouble. Yep. So my wife, we've been married for over three decades. We went through a really big rough patch in our marriage, probably 15, 17 years ago. And uh, we made it through by the grace of God. And then we met in law school. So she practiced uh, a number of different forms of law, but she did divorce law. And she saw up hand, uh, firsthand how devastating um, divorce is for 
so many couples and how once you get a certain way down the road, it's so difficult to untangle the mess. And so she wanted to write a book to help people to stay together. So it's called Before You Split. It's a great book. We tell some of our story in there. I'm really proud of her for writing it. And we're happily married. And I always joke with her, if we ever got divorced, which is not our plan, intention or goal, uh, I'm hiring her to represent me. So (laughs) (laughs) she's good at what she does. But, you know, the the whole goal is actually not about divorce. It's well, it can help if you're in that place. And, you know, Christians end up there. They end up the marriage didn't work out. It can minimize the conflict. Her heart is for kids. And she wants to minimize the conflict on the next generation. And the principles in the book are designed to help you restore your marriage. Or if you're going through a breakup, to know how to do it with the minimal amount of collateral damage that you can create. Because you just saw so much carnage on the other end. Right. Wow. Okay. So uh, I did mention you've written several, uh, several books, but uh, the last book was Didn't See It Coming. And so this book is called At Your Best. Um, so one was about really, uh, I think prevention somewhat, Mm -hmm. uh, and this one seems to be about almost stewarding your life and leadership. How does, how does didn't see it coming dovetail with at your best? Well, didn't see it coming was really seven mini books. So it was about all the things in leadership, the soft things nobody ever prepares you for that leaders never see coming. So I covered cynicism, pride, um, irrelevance, emptiness, you know, everything's growing, but I don't feel good. But there was a section in didn't see it coming on burnout. And the sections on cynicism and burnout got disproportionate reactions, particularly the burnout stuff. And it's buried at the back. So like people had to go read well into (laughs) didn't see it coming to discover burnout or at least look at the table of contents. Right. And we heard so many stories. And then, of course, some of that was was rooted in my own story of burning out 15 years ago in 2006. And, you know, it's a terrible experience if you've ever been there. And a lot of leaders listening have been there. Like, I didn't know whether I was going to get out or not. So it was was brutal. Then on the other side of burnout, I was determined, you know, you want to get back to normal. But I'm like, wait a minute. Normal got me hit by the bus. Like normal got me smucked and left for dead at the side of the road. I can't go back to normal. I need to figure out a new way to live. So it took me a few years to really feel like I was back to normal, went to a lot of counseling, uh, I had, I, I hired coaches, I read books and I developed a system that the summary of it is to live in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow, live in a way today that will help you thrive tomorrow. Because I was living in a way today that made me struggle, that made me suffer, that made it miserable. And I was not managing my time, energy or priorities well. And I got that working and it was a personal thing for me. And then about a few years ago, people started the number one question I was getting is how do you get it all done? At the time, I was leading a church still full time that was growing. I started a podcast. I was blogging. I was speaking. I was on the road. My marriage was a lot better. And I realized maybe I could write some of these principles down. And I taught them once and I got such a response to it. Eventually, I thought, okay, I'm going to make this a book. And so these, these are the principles I've used for the last 15 years. I've, I've trained now thousands of leaders in it, and it's finally available in book form. And it's about getting time, energy, and priorities working for you, not against you. So it's kind of the cure to burnout. So if you're in burnout, it can help you get well. If you never want to burn out, this can keep you out of the ditch. 
And if you just want to find a better way of living other than being overwhelmed, overworked and overcommitted, this strategy has certainly helped me. And, and because I've tested it with thousands of leaders, it's helped thousands of others as well. You talk about aligning um, your time, your energies, your priorities. And then on the flip side of that, overwhelmed, overworked, overcommitted. So it, it's almost like these things either are going to stack up against you or stack up for you. Either, either they're going to give you forward momentum or they're just going to be obstacles to, to overcome. So talk a little bit about, um, you know, one of the things that I think is re- really interesting is with the pre-sale of the book, you're, you're giving away a masterclass, but there's also a calendar in that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hyatt was on not too long ago. He of course has a, a calendar that you, you see all over the place. Tell me a little bit more about this calendar. Um, Cause I haven't gotten to see it yet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, 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 I know. Maybe how, how, how do these things align that you're talking about? You know, how are you taking this something that we all feel overwhelmed, overworked, overcommitted to move it toward practically move it toward time, energy, and priorities aligned working in my favor. Yeah, well, Todd, you're right. I mean, the gravitational pull is time, energy, and priorities are going to work against you. It's the second law of entropy, right? If you don't cut your lawn, if you don't weed that garden, it's not going to look all that different a week from now, but give it a month, give it a year, and you're going to look like some you know movie with the apocalypse. That's what your place is going to look like. And I think we don't think about it enough. So I want to say, I want to acknowledge I've read Mike Hyatt's stuff. I have lots of friends who use the full focus planner. And so I'm not trying to compete with all those or say like, I have the idea that changes the whole time management thing. There are so many good books. I mean, I've talked to a lot of these guys, Cal Newport, uh, David Allen interviewed him from getting things done. Mike Hyatt, right. Talk to Michael about this. Like they're really smart people. But what I found is uh, there needs to be a simple system that can help you get out of the, what I call stress spiral. And the stress spiral is overwhelmed, overworked, overcommitted. It happens when you don't let your time get focused, where you never leverage your energy and your priorities continually get hijacked. Because if you think about it, there's three assets we all manage every day, no matter what you do. You can be a student in college, you can be a stay-at-home parent, you can be a CEO or bottom of the food chain in your company, right? Or in your church. And um, you get time, you get energy, you get priorities. And I found when I wasn't managing them well, priorities, time, and energy worked against me. So here's some of the hacks I made and I'll get to the calendar. And time management, a lot of good stuff on there. I've got some ideas in the book, like I'm against balance. I think you should not like a bad, give up on the goal of trying to live a balanced life. Uh, we can talk about time if you want, but there's, I'm, I'm assuming most of your leaders are pretty good at time management. The exponential return for me came in energy management. So what I began to notice is you get 24 equal hours in a day, but not all hours are created equal and not all hours produce equally. So you feel very different at 7am than you might at 7pm, or you feel very different. If you're talking to your spouse at 3pm, it's very different than having a conversation at 3am where you may barely be awake, right? So equal hours don't feel equal, don't produce equally. Would you say, Todd, you're a morning person, afternoon or night owl? When are you at your best? Um, I used to be a night owl, but now Mm -hmm. I'm a morning person. 
See, that doesn't surprise me. What was that college? Cause I thought I've, I've been out with you at night and I'm like, Oh, you can, you, you can do that. You can do that. I'm not. I have no problem doing that. It's uh, it is the law of entropy. <laughs> it is doing that consistently. I am. Once I hit like 40, I started uh-huh. drinking black coffee and sleeping a lot more before that. I could, I'm telling you, uh, I could not, I could not sleep more than six hours. Uh-huh. And now I sleep more than six hours almost every night. But before that, it was just like, I don't know whether uh, it wasn't a drive issue. It was, I, I'm, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what uh-huh. tripped, but I think something physically or physiological, something happened. Well, you also became a dad too, right? You got yeah. kids, but you've been a dad for a while. So, yeah. okay. What's well, so your morning person? What time, like, would you normally, if you could do your ideal week, when, when would you be at it in the morning? When would you say your best hours are like, man, my brain's clear. My energy's high. Wish I felt like this all the time. Um, pretty much seven to noon is. Oh, we're almost identical. I'm seven to 11. You have more stamina than me. <laughs> so what's, what's interesting is most leaders, and we, I never thought about my day that way. And what's so interesting, and I would encourage every leader to think about this as you're walking, driving, whatever you're doing right now, but just think about it. Your energy waxes and wanes over the course of a day, and it's almost the same every day. Yeah. If you got woken up at 3 a.m., you're going to have a bad day. But mostly, like you could name 7 to noon. Me, it's 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. And then there's almost always a period of the day where you're exhausted, where you're like, oh, please kill me now or give me caffeine or something like that. Do you have an hour or two like that most days where your energy is just lagging? Uh, It's like the time frame from like six to eight which okay. is like dinner, but. But then you're like, oh, let me find the sofa, right? You're just tired. Yes, I'm yeah. just like, I'm, I'm done. Can I just eat and look at my phone for an hour? <laughs> and okay. then I'm good. See, that's you being human. And for me, it's four to six. So today I have a meeting at 4.30. It's a big one. And I'm like, I hope I stay awake. I hope I'm focused. I hope, you know, I'll probably be jiggling my leg. So, uh, Think about your t- your peak zone when you're at your best is green. So that's your green zone. Mm-hmm. Six to eight for you, four to six for me is my red zone. That's where like I either need to go for a run, take a nap or do something that is so low energy. Like I can't write a message then. I can't prep for a big podcast interview then because my brain just doesn't work. It just, I got three brain cells left. So there's that. And then everything else in between green, red, low energy, high energy, green, low energy, yellow, everything in or low energy, red, and everything in between is yellow. So you're neither at your best nor at your worst. So I started dividing my day and I would encourage every leader to do this into three zones, green, yellow, red. The mistake a lot of us make is we waste our peak energy. So our peak energy, if yours is in the morning, it's pretty easy to say, yeah, I'll do that breakfast meeting. You do the breakfast meeting and then you're like, well, and I want to run too. So you do a 5k or you go to the gym and you lift a little bit and then you hit the drive through and you get some Starbucks and then you chit chat with people in the office. You sit down, it's 11 AM and then you got to do your most important work. Well, by that point, your energy is already lagging. And so for a lot of preachers, you got a lot of preachers leading. It's the weekend message. It's aligning your team. It's strategic planning. That's your most important work. You didn't do it when you were at your best. Now it's three o'clock in the afternoon. You're already starting to drag and you pull out your 
commentary and your Bible and your sermon notes. And you're like, okay, I'm going to start my message. And you're like, this didn't go well. You get up the next day and you repeat. And before you know it, it's Thursday. Your message isn't done. The creative team is mad at you because you haven't gotten them final notes. And your kids have paid for this because you've been working at night while they're watching Netflix. And you're like, okay, I'm going to just look at that commentary on whatever. And, um, and I used to live that way. And what I, the, the secret to the book, the thing that really helped me, and this is, this is why I've been able to do a lot more with, with, you know, in my life in terms of productivity over the last 15 years is do what you're best at. What's the most important work you can do that you're actually gifted at that makes an impact. What are you best at? Do it when you're at your best. And when you do that, I started to see exponential returns. Not only that, but what was really interesting, Todd, is if you're going to optimize your green zone, don't just get through your task list, like do it. Okay. Write the message, uh, do the strategic planning. Uh, if you're an accountant, you're an accounting, maybe it's like, okay, I got to do that pivot table, right? That's going to take some focus. So you create the great spreadsheet, the spreadsheet to end all spreadsheets. So do that. But then if you want to be best in the world at something, research your craft, sharpen your saw, hone your skill, uh, read a book on great communication, listen to some top preachers. Go for a walk and let ideas digest. If you're trying to outline a series, you know, I'll give you an example of that. So today, uh, back-to-back interviews, team meetings all day, uh, it's a stack day. I also had some content to produce and I was trying to get clarity. And I woke up early. I woke up at, I don't know, 6, maybe 5.36, had my devotions. Then I'm like, my, my brain, I just can't figure this idea out. Normally, I don't exercise during my green zone because I'm not trying out for the Olympics. But I got on my bike today. I know you would think I am just by, you know, the way I'm built, but I'm, oh, but I'm not. Sure. Um, and so I got on my bike and I just went for an hour, 25K. And I'm listening to a podcast. I'm thinking. And then all of a sudden it came to me. And so I just had my AirPods in. I just grabbed my phone into Evernote, dictated a few thoughts so I wouldn't lose them. And then on my loop back, I'm getting close to the house. We have been trying to solve this one problem in the company for two months. To reposition, of course, I did during the pandemic as something new, new, pardon me, redo the content of it. And I couldn't figure out the angle. And then it just dropped. And I'm like, oh, that's it. Pulled out my phone again, dictated into Evernote. And then I bounced it off my team when I got back. And what I did, there's brain research behind this. So yes, I'm still writing during my green zone, but when your body is moving, your mind starts to move. And that's why you have your best ideas in the shower. That's why you think of really brilliant stuff when you're mowing the lawn is because your brain is not actually trying to solve the problem. And when you're not trying to solve, it's, it's almost like, you know, and I'm not a doctor, but you hear so many times, oh, we gave up trying to get pregnant and then we got pregnant. Yeah, It's almost like you give up trying to write it and then it writes itself, that will happen. And if you give yourself enough time and you're reading the books, listening to podcasts, going through three drafts of your message, not one, really honing what you do, that's how you become world-class. So for me, this is really interesting because I think um, community cultures, uh, well, organizational culture, not community culture, organizational cultures, can really mess with this because there are a lot of church cultures and a lot of organizational cultures that will stack things specifically during the day. Like my organizational culture is very meeting heavy. 
very meeting focused, but a lot of those meetings occur in the first part of the day. Mm-hmm. And then people do their work like in the afternoon. So the culture itself is set up in that, in such a way to make it um, less conducive. I'm wondering yeah. if I'm a leader leading a team of staff, uh, I'm a, I'm a pastor leading staff. Is there, have you found either anecdotally or through research, um, are most people like us that have the, the morning or are there a lot of people in the afternoon? And if so, then how do you adjust things like strategy meetings or a meeting calendar throughout the week to make sure that you're doing that when, like, I don't want to, unless it's a strategy meeting, I don't want to do a meeting in the morning, but strategy meeting, that's a great time to do that. Otherwise, if it's just a, a meeting that's more informative, if you're in a meeting heavy culture. Yeah. You open for some free consulting. Can we yeah. do it right now? Yeah. Okay. So let, let, let's solve this problem because it's better than an academic answer. So you're not alone. And I started my company. I'm the founder. I get to set my own hours, right? So not fair. Your book doesn't apply to me. Your strategy doesn't work. So I have taught this to thousands of leaders over the last few years as I realized, oh, there might be something here. And I've gone through this exercise numerous times, but I want to do it with you first. And then I'll let you know what the data is. So look at a work week. You have a 40-hour work week. I know you, 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 you work more than that. You have a 50-hour work week, but let's just pick 40 just to be fair and pretend it's all just okay. to be made and all that. And you're a great example because, I mean, you have a lot of responsibility and, and you're a senior leader, but you're not the CEO. You have some command performances where Ben says, hey, you got to be here, Todd. It's like, I got to be there. Yes. And if the senior leadership team is like, you got to do this, it's like, yep, I got to do this. And that's that's a vast majority of people who are not CEOs by definition, right? CEOs are going to be a small fraction of the, right. the population. So let's look at your work week. How many hours would you say is in what I would call command performance have to be at this meeting, have to be at that meeting in a typical work day? How many hours? Typical work week, I should say. Uh, typical work week, I'm going to say 25% of the time. 25% of the time. So about 10 hours. Yeah. Okay. That is so typical. Uh, it, it's amazing. The, the, the average answer is 10 to 12 hours of my week is pre-scripted. Um, it's as low as five in some cases, but I'm going to pick a worst case scenario because there's someone listening here who's like, oh, I would love your job, Todd. Um, <laughs> I'm like, and some days you're like, you, you can have it. It's okay. You can have it. Um, let's say it's 20 hours a week. You know what that gives you freedom over? 88% of your work week. So if that number was almost double, you still have discretion over 88% of your time. When you go to bed, when you get up, when you go home, when you come into the office. So that reframes the thing because it's very easy to focus on what we can't control and not on what we can control. But even further than that, what I would do, and if you did this, like uh, think about, you're probably in the same meetings with the same people on a pretty regular basis. Is that fair? Yes. So do this as a team exercise, get everybody work through this framework, figure out. And, and again, if you pre-order the book, you'll get all the graphics and everything we've got. It's so interactive. You can download your own energy clock. You can plot it out, uh, all that stuff. We got study guides, everything. You sit down with your team and say, 
oh my gosh, we're most of us are morning people. Oh, and you did ask the question. Yeah. So Daniel Pink has a book a few years ago called When. And yes. it's about 20% of the population. I'll have to I'll have to look to get an exact quote. So Daniel Pink, don't get mad at me. But it's like a minority that are morning people. Um, an almost equal number are night owls. And then a lot of people are in between. But what I've discovered is in senior leadership, morning people are overrepresented. So let's just say you get in there and you realize most of your people are morning people. You don't have a whole lot of night owls. You had a few afternoon people. You, you made a really good point. If it's strategy, you want to use your green zone. You want to use your most productive hours for that. If it's routine admin, you probably don't. So when you compare all your energy clocks together and you realize, wow, we're all at our peak productivity, but this is not the most important use of time. You can move the meeting out of that zone into people's yellow zones. And uh, I consulted with a large church in Atlanta, about 8,000 people in attendance a few years ago and ran a beta of this material by them. They all hated their leadership team meeting and they couldn't figure out why, because these are smart people who loved working at the church, loved working with each other. And then when they compared their energy clocks, they discovered they're almost all in their yellow or red zone. Well, that's going to be a bad meeting. If you're trying to stay awake, if Ben's trying to stay awake, if, if, you know, other people are trying to stay awake, it's like, ah, my goodness, this is terrible. So they moved it by a couple hours and all of a sudden the bad meeting was a great meeting. And it was as simple as that. So what you can do is probably move some of those. The other thing you could do is talk to your direct report, like talk to your boss and say, Hey, I read this book, heard this podcast. I want to get better at what I do. Now, 25% of my time, my most productive time is spent in meetings. I think we could argue that this meeting and that meeting is a good use of time. But what about these three meetings over here? Would you be open to me either shortening my time at those meetings, moving those meetings, and I promise you it will result in greater results and greater productivity? Are you open to that? And most bosses would be. And again, if you look at it holistically as a team, um, it could be a way of making progress. So there's, you know, here endeth the free consultation. Was that a helpful way of thinking about it or feel free to push yeah. back? Oh, absolutely. I, I think yeah. um, on the heels of that and, you know, talking to my boss, I have a great boss. Uh, yeah, you I have do. a new boss. Uh, actually, we just reorged again and I have, I have a new boss. But um, luckily, we had a great working relationship um, previously and still do. Um, but I think that type of conversation with your boss, some people feel a bit of angst or a bit of anxiety um, in trying to take back some of their time. But mm. I've heard you talk about something that I think you might be one of the world experts on that. Um, it dovetails very well with this, which is you could write a book on the art of saying no. Um, and, and part of this is saying no to things, uh, or at least not now to things in the way that you're managing your schedule. So how did this, how did this develop in you as part of your leadership? And can you share a couple, you know, difficult no's that you've had to deliver, uh, along the way? There, uh, <laughs> there definitely is a section of at your best. That's all about saying no. And I think the reason I could write the book is I am naturally so terrible at it because I want to say, yes, I hate disappointing people. And there were a couple of months when I started out in leadership where I could say yes to everything. I remember when I started as a pastor in the nineties, I came up to three little tiny churches. I shared, they shared me and I, I would do the circuit on Sunday 
And the average attendance of all three churches put together was 41. So one of them had 23 people, 14 people, and like six people don't check my math, but that's close to 40. Right. I didn't even know what to do. I mean, it's not going to take me 40 hours to write a message. So I, I called the elder chair and I just said, hey, what should I do? And he goes, I don't know. Could you visit people? I'm like, yeah, okay, great. I had all the time in the world. And that lasted about three months. And since then, I've had more opportunity than time available to to do all the things that have come my way. And especially now. So I want to say yes to everything, but I can't. And almost any leader, unless you're just starting out, you're really in the first days of the job, that's going to be your story. So how do you say no? One thing is to have a really clear sense of your lane. What are you best at? What are you really good at? What can you speak to? So I had a speaking opportunity. Uh, I just looked at it today and my assistant ran up by me and it was for a, just a congregation. And I decided a few years ago, I'm not going to do general events for congregations. I will speak to leaders. So I said yes to LifeWay Women when they asked me to do a keynote at your LifeWay Women's event in the fall, because I looked at who the speakers were, I realized who was gonna be in the room, and I thought, this is an opportunity to really make an impact. When I, th- I would rather talk to leaders than I would a general congregation. I'm not saying that's a right decision to make. Um, similarly, I don't do guest preaching. So if you're my very, very best friend, I might help you out. But I've actually, I said no to one of my best friends just recently. He's like, come on out here and do a month. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I think my lane is leadership. So you have to know what you're best at. And the older you get, the easier it is to define that. Second thing I would say is, and I'm hinting at this, start making categorical decisions. Are there things you can actually just categorically say no to. So categorical decision-making, think about Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs, who are known for the way they dress. Steve Jobs always wore the same thing, black mock turtleneck, khaki pants. Same thing with Zuck, right? Zuck's always in a t-shirt. Why? One less decision they have to make. Craig Rochelle eats the same three meals and puts them in rotation because he doesn't have to think about lunch, dinner. It's also nutritional. That's categorical decision making. I decided years ago, I used to be the king of breakfast meetings. I don't do breakfast meetings anymore. Why? Because I'm giving away my best time of the day when I could be writing. I could be writing new talks. I could be editing a new book. I could be aligning my team. So I don't do breakfast meetings. So if you ask me for a breakfast meeting, chances are I'm going to say no. Um, And so that kind of categorical decision-making, deciding ahead of time, what you will and won't do can really help. Um, another thing you could say is if you have some autonomy and you're calling meetings, I do 30 minute meetings, or I don't do meetings over an hour, or I don't do lunch meetings. Like think about what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And then just make a decision. And then finally, when you're saying no, be nice about it. Um, I'm Canadian. So that helps, right? Maybe with our reputation is, uh, I'll, I'll just say, I would love to. Todd, I would love to do this podcast with you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being uh, being asked. However, it just doesn't work out for me. Uh, thank you so much for asking. I'm sorry. It's a no. And let it go. Mm. Now, what a lot of people will do is not now. But don't say not now unless you really mean in a month you're going to do that. I did that for a while. And my assistant, because I, I don't like to disappoint people. And my assistant called me on it. 
And Sarah just said to me one day, would you please stop saying that? Because then people circle around a month later and they're like, are you free now? And it's still no. And then eventually it's like, no, I'm never going to do it. And then the final thing I would say, I've learned so much from Greg McEwen on this. And in his book, Essentialism, I'm going to paraphrase something he said, but he said, on a scale of one to 10, if it's not a nine, it's a zero. And I think a lot of us, we know how to say no to a two out of 10. It's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Most of us die in the six, sevens and eights. It's like, yeah, it's good. It's good. But that, that whole idea, if it's not a nine, it's a zero, still schools me. And when you're in a rapid growth environment or a rapid change environment, this is one of the challenges for me. What would have been a nine last year may not be a nine this year. So mm, don't make your good. decisions too far in advance. That's really good because priorities do change. And as you grow as a leader, there's less that you need to be doing. Uh, and I think that's a common thing that, you know, most leaders don't, they're not able to scale themselves or find that new gear because they're not willing to make those decisions, those categorical decisions, uh, in advance. That's really, really good. I asked Andy this a few years ago. He had me on his leadership podcast to talk about these ideas. And I think we're going to actually be broadcasting it on mine as well. Um, but he said something years ago when, when I was first getting to know him and he corrected me on it. So I'm going to get the almost version, not the correct version. But Andy said something to the effect of this guy I always wanted to meet him. And he said, listen, if I met with you, I can't meet with you. Okay. I, I, I just can't. Because if I met with you, I wouldn't be able to produce the kind of church that you enjoy attending. And there's a beautiful logic in that. If Andy was meeting with everybody who wanted to meet with him, he couldn't, he couldn't create the content he creates. He couldn't scale North Point the way it scaled. In other words, I would produce a church you no longer wanted to be a part of. And so one of the reasons I have to, I don't have to say no, I could just drop right. what I'm doing. I could stop writing books. I could, I could stop interviewing leaders. I was saying to my team, one of the challenges is that the guests have changed over the years. I, I have to do more and more research. I will sometimes spend 10 or 20 hours preparing for a podcast interview that lasts an hour and a half. And it's like, I read the book. I, I, I just interviewed um, Jacqueline Novogratz and who I didn't really know well until the opportunity came up. Turns out she's married to Chris Anderson from TEDx. She founded Acumen, works with Seth Godin, is changing philanthropy and impact investing around the world. Um, and, and, you know, Tim Ferriss had her on the show. So I'm like, whoa, I'm going to be like five, six hours preparing for that hour with her. And if I'm going to deliver that kind of interview that means I can't be going out to random breakfast meetings or doing these other events. Otherwise, if I'm doing those other events, I can't do that kind of interview. Or, you know, who always absorbs the slack of all your bad decision making and saying yes too much and being overcommitted? You know, you're wincing. Yes. my Go ahead and say it. My wife, my kids. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. now you didn't get your most important stuff done. So you bring the important stuff home and you're sitting there watching Disney with your daughter and you're on your laptop, not paying attention. And your wife's like, this is the third night in a row. And you're like, honey, I'm just going to stay up for another hour and try to get this done. And then you wake up and you're back on your phone in minutes. Like it's your family that always pays the price. And then eventually, like I did when I burned out, you know, if you don't declare a finish line to this, your body will. 
And my body just like, that's it. I quit. I resign. You have pushed me too far, too hard, too often. I'm done. And that was burnout. Before we get back to the podcast, let's talk about time and how 24 hours never seem to be enough to get everything done. As a church leader for a growing church, you eventually realize that you can't do everything on your own. Not well, anyway. Your job is to be the visionary, but instead you spend countless hours on tasks that could easily be done and arguably done better by someone else. And that's where the powerful multiplying effects of delegation prove mission critical. Our friends at Belay, the organization revolutionizing productivity with their virtual assistant, bookkeeping and social media strategist services for growing churches, know the demands on church leaders all too well. In fact, their first client was a pastor and they've continued to serve them every day for the last 10 years. Belay is offering a free download to all our podcast listeners of their delegation worksheet and guide to help you determine what only you can do and what should be delegated so you can get back to what really matters, fulfilling your purpose. Just text LIFEWAY to 55123. That's L-I-F-E-W-A-Y to 55123 for your free download. You're now one step closer to reclaiming precious time every week to do what only you can do. Now, back to the podcast. <clears throat> I have one last question. It, it, it comes back to this issue. I mean, obviously, this isn't a, this resource, the latest resource at your best is not about, you know, making me feel better or uh, it, it, it actually has practical, implementable things that you can do, uh, obviously. But one of the things I've always appreciated again about you, Carrie, is your transparency and you're open about your leadership mistakes inside the church, outside the church. You know, you've talked about your family, all those things. So, and you're writing a book right now addressing, hey, I'm overworked, I'm overwhelmed. All these things that so many pastors, church leaders, business leaders are feeling, what's at stake if we treat the symptoms and we don't do the hard work in this process of getting down to some of the real issues in our life and leadership. I don't want to be overdramatic, but there's a lot at stake. <laughs> there's so much at stake. I mean, you know, the extent to which pastors are quitting and leaders are quitting. I read yes. HBR and the wall street journal. And I mean, they call this the big resign in business. Leaders are dropping like flies. There was a, a Deloitte study that came out in mid 2021. So we're a year and a bit into this crisis and we keep thinking it's going to get better. And according to the Deloitte study, which was done of high level executives, 82% of CEOs go home, leave the office or their work every day, mentally and physically exhausted. 49% can't sleep at night. I mean, and, and, and I, I bet you that stat kind of works in ministry as well, right? Where the vast majority of pastors are going home and it's like, I got nothing left. I left it all at church because there's conflict everywhere. Um, I'm working on a post right now about how do you lead in a continual season of loss and bad news? Because that's all we've had for two years is loss and bad news. Like that is really hard. So when you look at that, when you extrapolate, what happens is you're probably not going to complete your calling. 
You're going to be exhausted. If you don't solve the problem, you're like, well, I'm going to get out of ministry. I'm going to quit my job or I'm going to resign. Great. You have now exported all of your unresolved issues into your next venture. And it's not going to go away. Or we look to time off and it's like, well, I need more vacation. The problem with that is time off won't heal you when the problem is how you spend your time on. Because the problem isn't time off. We know how to vacation. It's like, I can't get through Monday to Friday without feeling like I got hit by a bus. And ultimately what's at stake is, you know, as Annie Dillard says, I think it was Annie Dillard, as you spend your days, so you spend your life. And eventually your twenties become your thirties, become your forties, become your fifties. And what I've learned as a, as a adult in my fifties is if you don't deal with your problems, they don't get better. They don't resolve, they get worse. And so I burned out when I was 40, 41. And by, by really paying attention to this, like, I, I don't, I don't want to minimize the season we're in, but I feel great. I feel better than I've ever felt in my life. And, you know, it doesn't mean there's hard days. There's hard days. It doesn't mean there's not terrible news. There's terrible news in the world, but there's a resilience there. There's a joy there. There's a, a deepening of the relationship. There is, believe it or not, margin. Because I said no to the right things and yes to the right things, there's a margin in my life. I had the time to go for a bike ride today. I had the time to get out on the lake last night. I have the time to drive down to Toronto with my wife tonight to pick up my son. And like, those are, those are great, great, great things. And so many people are denying because the important, the truth, including your relationship with God, right? Some of you are running on fumes. It's like you woke up in the morning and it's like, got to get that message done. Got to get that thing done. And like God got bypassed. And um, you know, it's, it's just, that's that, all of that is at stake. And this is really how you want to live your life. And there is a better way. So I tried in, you know, 12 chapters to explain what that better way is. And in the masterclass and hopefully it helps some people. That's my heart. So good as always, sir. Uh, greatly appreciate you. Greatly appreciate your ministry. Um, and there have been so many one-liners and walk away, uh, not walk away. Uh, the takeaways. Take um, you, you can walk away if you want. You can walk away. You can walk away if you want. That's all right, Doc. If you don't take away something from this podcast, you may walk away. There you go. From there's the line. From, from yeah, we'll 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 give you a line there. Um, but just again, thank you so much for um, for in investing so much into leaders and leadership. Uh, it's always a pleasure. And um, to those listening, thank you for listening. Please hop on over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. Thank you.